The last page has been turned in my most recent read, but I'm actually going to be talking about a book I finished a couple of weeks ago, but postponed because I couldn't stop thinking about the Illuminae Files by Kaufman and Christoph. If you want to listen to that episode, it's on the archive. As you know, I didn't record last week, and it was with good reason, but we are finally starting to see the very bright light at the end of the tunnel, and it's actually really positive news. So positive that I spent a fair few hours crying with relief after I heard it. This week, we are back to the cosy crime as I take you on a trip to rural France, because I haven't had a holiday for years and quite fancy it, to be honest. So here I am, no spoilers, as opinion-filled as ever and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. Join me today as I go on a weekend away and stay at Richard's B&B in the Val de Follet in Death and Croissant by Ian Moore. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. Believe it or not, I have been so restrained over the last few weeks that even the deliveries that arrived at my flat weren't purchases I have made. They were my mum's Christmas shopping. I have taken delivery of just one book that I am going to read over the holidays, the final book in the Sparks trilogy by Kerry Law. Any fans of Dragons really need to give it a try and I'll post the link in the notes. But more importantly, that means I am giving myself a chance to read more books that are currently lining my TBR shelves. No, you won't be hearing that I'm going to have nothing left at the end of this year, but maybe by May 2024 if I stop buying anything at all. The disappearance of a guest is one thing, but you don't mess with a fellow's hens. Richard is a middle-aged Englishman who runs a B&B in the Val de Follet in the Loire Valley. Nothing ever happens to Richard, and that's the way he likes it. One day, however, one of his older guests disappears, the only trace a bloody handpin on the wallpaper. Another guest, the enigmatic Valerie, persuades a reluctant Richard to join her in investigating the disappearance. Then things become really serious, and someone murders Ava Gardner, one of his beloved hens. The story starts with Richard Ainsworth contemplating how dull muesli is as a breakfast. He's not wrong. Without enough milk, it can be incredibly dry and almost like sawdust in the mouth. We then are given the chance to get to know some of Richard's guests, including a newly married young couple called the Rizzolis, who are keen to have warm milk. A lot of time is strangely spent discussing their need for warm milk at the breakfast table for no apparent reason. And then Valerie Dorsey arrives and we are given to believe that she is a very vibrant character who dominates any room she's in. She has with her a small dog called Passepartout and when informed that dogs are not welcome at the B&B, very effectively avoids having any conversation where she may well lose. He is then made aware by Madame Tablier that she is unhappy about cleaning blood off the walls. It's additional work she doesn't want – 
for in the upstairs hallway, a bloody handprint has appeared on the wall, near the room of a guest that Richard has just realised is missing. Valerie is immediately intrigued, but Richard is less so, until he discovers the missing guest, Monsieur Grandchamp's glasses in a wastebasket. And then the bloody handprint is cut out of the wall, or rather the wallpaper is, because cutting out the wall would be a massive and loud task. Reluctantly, Richard joins Valerie on her mission to discover what has happened to his missing guest, which includes visiting Grandchamp's home, a rather unusual town where everyone not only knows everyone else and their business, it's just rather um, too close. It's actually rather spooky, even though I did personally grow up in a village that was quite similar. I think, though, this one has certain elements that give it a sort of hot fuzz feel. If you know what I mean, you know. The book introduces not only the fact that the missing man has a criminal past and a connection with the Sicilian Mafia, but the fact that someone has been sent to kill him. So, is Grandchamp dead? If so, was he killed by the Mafia assassin? Did someone else do it? Or are the various sightings that have been made of him, not only around his home, but also near Richard's B&B, a sign that he isn't really dead at all? There are so many red herrings, it's unbelievable. All the while he's investigating, following Valerie around to discover what really happened, Richard is also battling his conscience. His relationship with his estranged wife Claire and his temperamental and entitled daughter are brought into question, and there is a possibility that he and Valerie could be something more than fellow amateur sleuths. And also, what relevance does Richard's dead hen have? We're getting towards the end of the year and in what I am sure will lead to a massive sigh of relief from my poor beleaguered bank balance, there aren't too many new books due for release over the coming weeks. But to be fair, I have not been overly tempted by the releases for December. I am eagerly awaiting the arrival of two books at the start of 2024 in the form of Sunbringer, the sequel to The Amazing God Killer. Check out that review if you haven't done already and my special edition copy of Fourth Wing from Waterstones. I know, I know I have stated so many times that I don't do multiple copies of books, but I will be rehoming my current copy, honestly. Anyway, with my self-inflicted book buying ban still firmly in place, I do think that I am doing quite well. I only flaked once, and though I do have my book subs arriving at some point, and I'm never honestly sure when my fairy loot book will be handed over, I have plenty of incredible novels on the shelf to enjoy, some of which have been there so long that it's almost as though I'm gifting myself with another new book which is always a great feeling. Death and Croissant is actually a rather slender book, closer in length to the brief Agatha Raisin novels that I tend to enjoy of an evening. At just 278 pages, it's much shorter than things that I have been reading of late, including The Illuminae Files and The Hurricane War, which I do plan on talking about at a later date. This book was first released in July 2021, and though this is Ian Moore's first foray into writing cosy crime, he has written a couple of books about his experience of living as an Englishman in France. 
I don't tend to read many memoirs, as you will know, so it's unlikely they will find their way onto my reading list and sent, unless I really find them so appealing. Though I'm not a person who judges a book by its cover, I do have to admit that I was attracted to Death and Croissant because of its simplicity and the title made it sound as though it was going to follow in the vein of quite a few of the other cosy crime novels I have read of late involving food. I don't know why I have a thing about reading books about food. As much as I enjoy reading and leaving reviews, I don't tend to buy books based on the scores that they have accrued on any website. In fact, I don't even check them out before I've read them because I do like a mystery and that's why I read cosy crime. And there is always that risk that I'll come across one that has spoilers in it. Do you want to find out who the killer is and why they did it when reading a cosy crime? Or what about finding out endgame relationships and a romanticy before you flip open the cover? If you don't, avoid reading reviews before you buy the book. I guess that's why I'm always careful when it comes to picking the reviews I use in these episodes. But also why I choose to never reveal anything that could be considered a spoiler when I talk about the book in general. Another reason why I don't check out reviews before I read something is that I have a real issue with actually resisting spoilers when they are presented to me free to read completely. I will always refuse to give them as well. I had a friend ask me to tell her about Avengers Endgame when I attended the midnight showing. She begged, literally, please tell me what happened. And she said that she didn't care about being spoiled. And I still resisted the urge to tell her anything. So I've sort of carried that resistance over into being bookish. When it comes to reviews in general, I think that they're a really good reflection of how different we all are as readers and consumers in general. You'll only have to look at review sites such as Goodreads and Rotten Tomatoes or fan forums to see how many differing opinions there are on things like movies, TV shows and books. I knew before I checked that the reviews on Goodreads for this book in particular wouldn't be quite as heavy as they have been for other books that I've reviewed relatively recently, but I was still able to find a number that gave very different opinions. As always, I want to give you a balanced perspective, as hearing views from both ends of the spectrum is important and can help you make a decision if you're not entirely sure. Sure, I may not share them and they may have found something entirely different in the book when they read it, but that doesn't make their opinion or mine any less valid. This is how they personally felt about it. Of course, as I always say, don't let any of these reviews, including mine, sway you if you've already got your mind set in a specific way. Eleanor gave the book one star and she sounded as though she was actually relieved when the book was over. I don't know what exactly it is. Either I don't like British authored cosy mysteries or I've just run into not really good ones. It's a mix of everything. A B&B, food, humour, countryside and exotic guests and nothing is narrated appropriately. Every line feels out of place. The characters are so bland and single-dimensional. Even the mystery is not interesting to follow. 
And what's with this title? It gives you the idea that there's going to be more about tasty food. So disappointing. When there is actually a very little chunk of food. Oh, I expected juicy, soft, buttery croissant. For real. Though I didn't expect it when I came to look for reviews, it actually took quite a while to find a one-star review for this cosy crime that wasn't either filled with revelations about the murderer and their motive, or was a DNF, which is actually rather unusual for this particular genre, and something I tend to associate far more with fantasy, romanticy, and science fiction. To find that was the case with this particular book was surprising. I do enjoy reading through a few book reviews of a book once I've finished it. It can be quite entertaining, though of course some genres do attract far more enjoyable and diverse reviews than others. Unlike many of the books I've reviewed recently, since it was released in 2021, Death and Croissant has attracted just 7,408 ratings and 880 reviews on Goodreads. Distribution of those reviews is skewed towards the more middle-of-the-road ratings, with 38% or 2,853 of the readers finding the book to be a more average read, and only 12% or 947 reviewers enjoying it enough to give it a full-on five-star score. At the other end of the scale, 18% or 1,403 readers felt that the book deserved only a one or a two-star review. On Goodreads, the overall rating for this book is an average 3.32, more than likely influenced by the fact that the majority of readers saw it as a book deserving no more than three stars, which I have to admit surprised me given the press and the push on social media to read it. Cozy crime is one of those genres that is a bit of a mixed bag as far as reviews are concerned. If the novel is one that hits at the right time, it will tend to attract a lot of readers just because it caught their eye, perhaps the author, the hype, the cover is something that encourages them or may to maybe step outside their comfort zone and try a new genre. However, for the most part, and as it seems to be the case when it comes to Death and Croissant, it hasn't become a novel that attracted the attention of the masses, even though I saw it literally everywhere across my Instagram for quite a while. At the other end of the scale, Bridget gave Death and Croissant a five-star review and said, Death and Croissant by Ian Moore is the first in a series featuring bed and breakfast owner Richard Ainsworth and is set in the fictional Val de Follet in the Loire Valley. Richard is enjoying retirement, running his B&B and watching old films, until his cleaner, Madame Tabier, spots a bloody handprint in one of the bedrooms, though there is no sign of the guest. Convinced by another guest, Valerie Dorsay, with a dog called Passepartout, to investigate, he soon finds himself embroiled in a manner of shenanigans. I found Death and Croissant a fun, light-hearted read with a fabulous mystery at its core. Totally told from Richard's point of view, I loved the humour it contained. Richard is a put-upon 53-year-old Englishman, and I would certainly pick up the next instalment in the series. This novel is well-plotted and has a definite sparkle with some clever dialogue. The double-crossing, secrets, and various motives all result in a delightful, engrossing, highly comedic caper. 
Death and Croissant is a super duper worthwhile read that I recommend very highly. As you can probably tell from the two very different reviews, this book has elicited polar reactions from these two readers, and they're not alone. It's quite interesting to see how varied opinions can be, especially when the book hasn't received as many reviews, because this does make it much harder to find a variety of opinion. Looking through so many of these reviews, many of the points that were made by those who either DNF'd the book or didn't enjoy it as much, giving it the lower ratings, shared some very similar opinions about the storytelling, the characters and the final revelation. And constantly mentioning that final revelation made it quite difficult to use those reviews in anything here. As ever, what I want, expect and need from a book differs from day to day. And what I am looking for is not necessarily going to be the same as someone else. I wouldn't say that I was searching for escapism exactly when I picked up Death and Croissant, but the idea of being somewhere a little less wintry and surrounded with good food certainly held a level of appeal. When reading through other people's reviews, I think it would be really nice to have an idea of what their reading motivations were when they picked up the book, because of course that can affect how the book is received and how they eventually review it. I guess this is why I think that you have to take every review with a pinch of salt. Of course, I am always happy to give you a list of my personal recommendations if you're looking for a book to enjoy, but reading is a very individual thing. I have a very long list of books that I always suggest when someone asks. So if you are searching for your next read and only have a little bit of time to find something, maybe you're going on a long road trip or traveling somewhere, then start by thinking about the TV shows and the films you enjoy and the sort of books you've already read and liked in the past and go from there. Whenever someone asks me, what do you think I should read? and it really does happen far more often than you'd think, I start by asking them what they like and go from there. It's not a guaranteed method for finding your next favourite book, but it is a good starting point. Anyway, now I've told you about other people's views, let's get down to it. Here are my thoughts on Death and Croissant by Ian Moore, completely spoiler-free and 100% honest, as always. Did I like the book? I have to be honest, I think I went into this book expecting a lot. I had been hearing about it for quite a while before I finally picked it up as part of a bulk cosy crime order I made at the beginning of November. So this one didn't actually stay that long on the shelf before I picked it up. I was fascinated by the idea of a mystery taking place in rural France. The B&B setting sounded charming, and the fact that Richard is described as a rather staid and set-in-his-ways character made me want to read about how he would adjust to the excitement of solving a murder. After a brief introduction to several of the guests staying at Richard's B&B, the action starts relatively immediately with the discovery of a bloody handprint on the somewhat traditional wallpaper – the eccentric housekeeper, Madame Tablier, who for some reason reminds me a little of the unique Madame Remelot in French fields. If you don't know it, please look it up on YouTube. She was a character. 
is less concerned about the idea that something horrific happened than she is about the fact that there is a bloody handprint she will need to clean. While Richard is concerned for one of his older guests, Monsieur Grandchamp, and a recent arrival at the B&B, Valerie Dorsey, she seems strangely excited about the prospect of an adventure. So far, so good. Richard is very set in his ways, tick, choosing to live his life as the owner of a B&B while his wife Claire lives in England and their daughter is just a tiny bit on the unreasonably judgmental side. Okay, not a tiny bit. Her infrequent mentions really irritated me quite a lot. He is an ex-film researcher who feels the necessity of his role has been usurped with the creation of IMDb, which has been going quite a while at this point. And many of the things that he observes in his everyday life, he can only seemingly relate to if he can reference an event he saw in an old film. On the whole, I don't have any issue with this. It's nice when a leading character has a few quirks. Unfortunately, Richard has nothing to recommend him. He is rather dull and thus it makes it difficult for him to do anything that made me, as the reader, gasp and say anything close to wow. Would never have guessed that. Valerie is certainly the character who has all the flair. She has glamour and a desire for adventure that Richard definitely lacks. She wants to get to the bottom of what is happening and is the driving force that gets Richard off his backside and investigating. As I mentioned earlier, I was sure that the mystery would have something to do with food, given the title, because why else would you mention croissant if they don't play any sort of role in the story? I guess that I was expecting something to crop up throughout my read that was never going to happen. Perhaps a poisoned pastry or a bakery being the location of a key, key plot event. However, I was destined to be disappointed. The story had so much potential. And while there were some humorous moments, overall it was just lacking something that I am still struggling to put my finger on. I've already mentioned how I found Richard rather dull and this wasn't aided by his flat dynamic with his soon-to-be ex-wife Claire and their daughter. I felt bad that his marriage had fallen apart but that I also understood why Claire would no longer want to be with him. He lived so much in the past and was so resentful of the fact that progress had forced him to change his career path that I was relieved when other characters took the attention from him. Also, I don't expect every single book to be a romance, just a note, but I did feel that giving Valerie this allure and desirability felt like a pointless exercise when, despite Claire suspecting that her husband could be cheating on her, there was absolutely no chemistry and nothing between them, unless of course I blinked and missed it. The book took me several evenings to read as I found my mind wandering to other books that I also had on the go, including a few other cosy crime novels. Do I feel bad about the fact that I was distracted from this book? Not really. Quite often I will focus intently on just one thing I'm reading, but on this occasion that really was not the case. Death and Croissant is an all right book, but I don't think that I will be rushing out to buy the following books in the series because as much as I would like to find out what brings Valerie back to the B&B, I don't care enough to spend multiple evenings reading about Richard Ainsworth. Sorry. 
What surprised me most about the book? Sadly, the thing which surprised me the most about this book was the fact that for all that it appealed to me so much, it had been added and removed from my basket across multiple book sites over the last few months. It was a disappointment. I truly hate saying that, actually. But I will always say that while this book was not for me, that doesn't mean you won't enjoy it. I do wish that Madame Tablier had a larger role because I think that she could have been the saving grace of the plot. If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else, then you'll love these. There are so many incredible cosy crime novels that I will recommend without a moment's pause, especially the two Marlowe novels by Robert Thorogood. The most recent Agatha Raisin novel, Dead on Target by M.C. Beaton and R.W. Green, and Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse Satanto, which I think was, it was robbed of the Goodreads Crime and Thriller Award. It really was. If you want to find out what other cosy crime or cosy mystery novels I would recommend, give my cosy crime playlist a listen if you haven't done already. The last couple of weeks have actually been a bit quiet when it comes to reading. I have very recently read The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue for a book club I am in with a colleague and a few friends. And I finished a few books for a blog tour and a read-along. Last weekend was a mad rush, long road trips and a day of recovery after an 18-hour day on my feet. But if you watched my TikTok, you will know more about what has been going on. I'm happy to say that we are slowly but definitely coming out the other side and I am able to place a bit more focus on the things that I have been somewhat leaving in favour of real life. Of course, I am still on a very necessary and sensibly timed book buying ban, but this doesn't stop me from thinking about what I want to add to my shelves at some point in the not-too-distant future. Books are my happy place, introducing me to new worlds, new adventures and characters to fall in love with. And there have been so many in my lifetime, starting with Sorensen Carlyle in The Changeover by Margaret May. And he's probably going to forever be my first book boyfriend. So if you have any book recommendations, please email me at beingbookishpod at gmail.com. Or DM me on Instagram, where I also post pictures of my current and planned reads. Don't forget, if you want to hear about new releases and other books I've read and keep up with my reviews, you can sign up for my newsletter or just visit my website, beingbookish.co.uk. Well, that's it for this week and thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any of the other podcatchers where you might listen. Last week, I actually added my more recent episodes to YouTube, partly because Google is slowly discontinuing their podcast arm and you can find my episodes on there under at beingbookishpod. Over Christmas, I am hoping to spend a little bit of time putting together some actual video content that will be exclusive to that channel. You can also follow me on Instagram and threads as beingbookishpod, on TikTok as beingbookishreviews and on X as being underscore bookish. 
or you can check out my website for the podcast full back catalogue and written spoiler-free book reviews at beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I have a few things left to do, including wrap my Christmas presents before I begin another week at work, and I really want to reread a few of the beautiful chapters of Addie LaRue. Why did I leave this book on the shelf for seven months? So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.